Welcome back to 10K to Go. I'm pretty excited for this one today. We're talking with Kyle Trudeau, one of the original and ever consistent killers from Construction Zone Racing. He's a pro mountain biker, a killer cross racer. He's at all the crits and road races. I mean, he just loves to race his bike. He's got a good story of how he found his way into bike racing. He's always got a good attitude. Uh, he's got a ton of experience. I really loved picking his brain. A couple things that I need to set straight before we get going, however, is I made a couple of mistakes on my last episode that have been bugging me. I said that Ian Standard had won 2014 Ghent Wevelgum. I got that wrong. What I was thinking of was 2015 Omloop. He was in a final move at the end with Tom Boone and Nikki Terpstra and Steen Vandenberg from Quickstep. So it was three on one. And uh, I won't spoil the ending, even though you probably already know it. Go check it out on YouTube, 2015 Omloop. The other thing I got wrong, we were talking about Julian Alaphilippe and the tour last year. And I said that he took the, the lead on the Planche de Belfie stage, which was stage six. I got that wrong. He actually took the lead on stage three into Epernay, where he won the stage, took yellow. He did really well on the Planche de Belfie. I messed that up because he went really deep on that stage. He got second. He did extend his lead, and then he ended up holding the yellow all the way until stage 18. But anyway, I got that one wrong. Had to set the record straight. Let's hear from Kyle. All right. Hey, Kyle. Uh, glad to have you here on the podcast. Beautiful day down here in Tucson amidst uh, everyone on quarantine. So no better day to hang out in your backyard and talk about bikes. Yeah. So I follow a handful of pros, and like every winter, there's so many pros down here during these winter months getting their fitness ready for Europe or for whatever. Keegan was just here and, and Finsterwald and Chloe. And it's like everybody starts their ride or ends their ride on this bike path right by your house. And I notice a lot of your rides are on that bike path. <laughs> Is it just like this uh, like interstate of pro athletes going up and down that thing and you're just nodding and waving? <laughs> Do you see them all the time? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty funny. Like that the bike path is just, I mean, it's a perfect highway to get uh, out of town, get to Lemon, get to the west side of town, yeah. get get down south to the shootout. Um, so really, like, it's people always joke, like, you just you just ride the bike path. It's like, yeah, but in Tucson, like, our bike path is good. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that, that was exactly my thought. For the first while following all these people, I'm like, uh, these guys are killers. What are they doing on a bike path every day? <laughs> yeah. But then I realized, well, they're heading to Lemon or they're heading out to the West side or they're heading over here. And that it's probably a really safe and efficient way to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I just, most of the time I kind of create my ride around the bike path. I'll, I'll use that instead of going through town. Yeah. Why not, not? having to stop at lights, not having to get honked at by drivers. You know, everybody talks about how Tucson is consistently voted or ranked or considered one of the best bike towns in america i've never understood that a lot of my friends and i were always like how like when we come down and race el tour all you're doing is dodging potholes and then you know like who's scared of breaking a wheel but now that i see this bike path and you still have lemon and you still have these other areas it's like oh, okay that makes sense i mean yeah we we have horrible road surfaces <laughs> but i mean i guess after time you just get used to it uh yeah and it's like tucson considers that part of their charm they're like yeah. kind of proud of it <laughs> yeah yeah i never i never even think about it anymore yeah it i mean it doesn't cross your mind yeah like gates pass is gates pass and like mccain loop it's some of the worst surface ever but it's just kind of you just deal with it yeah up in uh phoenix we have this ride called <laughs> eop which takes you out past canyon lake toward apache lake and for years this 
pavement was just getting worse and worse. Like every 10 feet, there'd be this gigantic crack that had raised up. I mean, you're hitting like speed bumps at, you know, 35, genuinely dangerous. The, the pavement's so, I mean, it was just treacherous. And we always complained about it and griped about it, but we still did the ride. And then last year, they shaved the whole road down and they repaved it with this perfect pavement. And we were really excited and we love it. But now, sometimes we're kind of like, kind of miss the old pavement <laughs> it's kind of charming and kind of makes it fun yeah that's that's exactly how uh like the saturday shootout is there's this one stretch right by the mine that was like horrible pavement big cracks and um they redid the whole road surface like probably like a eight mile stretch of it and it's just like butter now but i miss i miss like totally the old stuff because people just hit it and like yeah, not, exactly. Not know how to deal with it. Yeah, back when EOP was horrible, we'd go out on these big group rides just to hammer, and there was only maybe four or five guys that could descend this like hairpin descent and get. They could only th- those were the only guys that could do it at speed, and the rest of us just got chattered right off the back and got dropped every time. And it really showed who knew how to ride their bike. And then they repaved the road, and now the whole group stays together <laughs> twice as fast going down this road. And it's kind of like, oh man, it's just not the same. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it probably actually made it safer when the road was crap. <laughs> yeah, totally. Now that people are taking risks, they probably have no business taking. Yeah, you are kind of a well, not kind of. You're definitely a local Arizona legend. Anybody that's raced bikes around here, whether it's cross or mountain bike or road bike or anything they know all about you or they've heard about you or they've seen you dominate. And I was really excited to come down here and, and, uh, get to know you and hear some of your story. I know you come from, uh, I don't know if it's a pure motorcycle or dirt bike background. Tell me about where you came from to arrive in the sport. Yeah. So actually when I was five years old, uh, started racing BMX, uh, I didn't do it very long, about a year or so. Uh, my parents actually thought it was too dangerous. So, did that, yeah, only for a couple years, but then when I was seven years old, uh, Santa brought me a uh, dirt bike. Because <laughs> Apparent- that's, that's way safer than BMX. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, I mean, my dad my dad raced motocross, rode dirt bikes since he was like 13 years old, so he got me into that. Um, Did I was, you have like, was it like a little Z50 or something? Uh, it was like a, it was a KTM 50, Okay. Um, so it had, had some juice. Um, but back then I actually, I hated racing. I didn't like being nervous on the start line or anything. Didn't take it super serious. Uh, kind of got out of it for a while. Was it just kind of something that like your dad could share with you growing up, like take the bikes out on the weekend, horse around? Yeah, get yeah, a cold exactly. Drink? So, um, yeah, my dad and I would go to the, the track. So it was just something we would do together all the time. When I was 10 years old, uh, I wanted to start racing again and that's when I really like went full on with the motocross stuff. Did it full on until I was about 21. You know, a ton of injuries and my dad, my dad and I kind of butted heads quite a bit towards the end of it. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't as fun. There's too much pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, my dad and I just had different ideas of how to go about things. You know, when I was like 18 to like 20, I mean, I thought I, I thought I knew how to do everything For and, sure. and my dad had his way of doing everything. And so we just, I started actually getting more into cycling around that time. And I really enjoyed cycling. It was something I could do all by myself. Um, 
just take my bike out. So, so hold on. <clears throat> Back to the motocross. Mm-hmm. At, by the time you were 17, 18, and I mean, you were at that point like an eight-year veteran of racing. You'd been doing it a while. Yeah. Um, put in context, is this like driving to California, driving to Texas, like all over? Is it just a local circuit? Like how, how, how big of a part of your life was this? Oh, yeah. I mean, motocross was like, I mean, I was in school, of course, but motocross was like number one priority. I was traveling to California a lot. Um, SoCal for the motocross, uh, that's like the big scene. So we'd go there, go to some of the amateur nationals um, all over the country. Okay. Um, And I was working towards getting my pro card. I was like considered, I guess you would call it pro-am. Yeah. Um, and then you have to hit these certain races to actually get your, uh, the sanctioning is AMA. You have to get your AMA pro card, build up points to get that. Um, and I was, I was trying to do that, kept getting setbacks throughout that process. So never really got there before making the transition to cycling. The consequence of failure of going hard in motocross is so much higher than a lot of other sports like oh no i messed up and now i'm in a hospital for three weeks versus i messed up on a road bike and i got road rash for three weeks i've got a lot of friends who have spent time on a dirt bike or motocross and almost all of them have these stories of these injuries that just make my skin crawl did you have any real bad ones or was it just a bunch of consistent small things along the way um yeah i had i had quite a few pretty bad injuries i mean a ton of broken bones um those heal but my worst injury was probably when I blew out my ACL in my knee. As a Uh, teenager. Yeah. 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 I was like 18 when I did that, 18 or 19. I mean, that was just the worst because it's like a six month process coming back from that. Yeah. And then that kind of snowballed into, I came back finally and then just straight into like another injury that put me out for like another month. So yeah, sometimes in motocross, it feels like you're just always behind and then you you finally get some momentum rolling and it it just gets shut down so quick sometimes so you're 15 16 17 18 things are getting serious maybe you're getting burnt out or you're kind of losing motivation were you were you also kind of dabbling in mountain biking at this time and it was this other thing you had going or was that not even on your radar yeah so actually um throughout my whole life I've always ridden bikes um just for fun my my buddies and i would ride bmx and like hit dirt jumps like all the time uh growing up in high school and middle school and then yeah cycling i used for training for motocross and when i say i used it i was like 20 mile rides like once or twice a week yeah and i would do i would do that fairly consistently did you have any indication along that way that hey i'm naturally pretty good at this like i got an engine or i'm i I also have endurance like did you have any idea that you had a knack for it no no i never really thought too much about it um because i was just so focused on motocross yeah i was never like set on hey i could just pursue this instead yeah uh, I mean, when I would go out and ride my road bike, though, like my training was go out and hammer as hard as I could for 20 miles. And yeah, <laughs> put the switch on, let the engine run until it burns <laughs> out and come home. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. So you're then 18. You step away from motocross and 
you start diving into uh, mountain biking? Only mountain biking, or were you on a road bike as well? Uh, I was on I was on a road bike more so at first. I'd say uh, I I bought a road bike off some guy from Craigslist for like five hundred bucks. So that's what I was using to train with, and I started working at a bike shop, uh, Oro Valley Bicycle. I was in college by this point, and just really started to get more into the cycling part. Was this like 2016, 2015, probably? No, it was, I was like 21, so. 2014, somewhere around Yeah, there. yeah, okay. about 2014. I I've, haven't been riding in this community for decades, like a lot of people around here, but in a way, it's not like you came out of nowhere, but you became the scariest guy in the race kind of out of nowhere. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, there's this guy, and it's like, oh, we're racing for second. <laughs> so you definitely came on quick. How long did it take till you realized, oh, I'm actually uh, I'm actually a killer at this. Let's see what I can do. Um, well, I think uh, Strava kind of helped me out with that. I started riding more and more, and then my coworker and friend, Corey, uh, told me about Strava and I downloaded Strava and would click that on my phone and I would just like go out and hammer whatever ride I was doing and yeah. I would like get all these cups and he was like be surprised and I was like be, I was just like, your, your phone's glitching bro <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I think you have a bad Garmin and I was like oh, I was just I was just riding and then uh con- he convinced me to to do tour of the white mountains like end of 2013 and i had no idea what i was getting in for uh pretty much went out there with water in my water bottles (laughs) jean shorts (laughs) yeah (laughs) i did have i did have a kid on at least yeah came back completely shelled but i think that kind of sparked my interest even more at the amateur level a lot of people struggle really getting into a consistent race routine largely because they're just nervous about racing like the 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 race day jitters like freaks them out and or the competition or something i don't i i feel like there's a lot of people where the actual race scares them and they love to train they love to get fast and they like to hammer with their friends but they're just scared to race you probably had no issue with that because you just came off racing for 10 years it's like well i raced there i'll race here yeah yeah so i getting into like racing mount like mountain bike races I never had, I was never nervous on the start line or anything because I was used to motocross where you're lined up with 40 guys all taking off, looking to go into one corner that's enough for maybe two wide. Yeah. Um, so lining up on a mountain bike start, yeah, there might be a ton of people, but you have three or four hours yeah. to figure out the race. Not the the race doesn't come down to you know that first corner and that first like half of a lap. Yeah, in cross and mountain bike, people still talk a lot about the whole shot. Oh, you got to get the whole shot, or I got it. You know, it's a thing, but it's it's not going to decide the race every time, or probably not the majority of the time. It's a thing, but it's not the thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and like sh- short World Cup style races, I mean, you need to be up there. Yeah. But even in those, you have an hour and a half to sort it out. So does a does a mountain bike, or even like a short track start or a mountain bike start for a whole shot, does that still feel kind of slow motion for you compared to what you grew up doing? Yeah, yeah, you have there's so much more time to think like i remember the start of like a motocross race like the gate would drop and it's like 
it's almost like I would black out like the entire <laughs> start. And then like all of a sudden I was like three corners into the race and I was How'd like, I get here. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. Like, all right, better take, better take note of what's going on now. Yeah. But, but yeah, like a, a start of even a short track, it, it feels like that, that first straight takes well a long time. You know, people wear their emotions on their sleeve or they don't at all. You know, everybody's different. But I got to say, you know, I've lined up on the same start line as you a number of times. You probably didn't even notice I was there because I was three rows back. But you look so relaxed at the start. And when the gun goes off, you ride so relaxed and you take that whole shot so relaxed. And a lot of other people, you know, they're like they're freaking out. Their head's down. They're like doing these chants or something like they got this routine to like get in the zone. And it makes sense. Like you're thinking like, guys relax <laughs> yeah. we got all the time in the world yeah no that's true though like motocross days i i mean you look at the the start of like a supercross race or motocross race everybody has their little quirks that they're doing and and in motocross i definitely did like yeah. i do the same same process before the the drop of the gate like every single time but i just don't feel that pressure on the start line yeah, no of big a, deal of a mountain bike race yeah I've noticed on your Instagram, and by the way, anybody listening should follow your Instagram because it's hilarious. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of gold on there. Like, I love your sense of humor, and it always catches me by surprise. But it looks like a lot of times in the offseason, you're still taking a dirt bike out and hitting the jumps and getting dirty. I feel like it's a good change of pace. Like, when I, when I have the time, you know, you can take on a little bit more training load. It's good to just kind of like, now Now I use the motocross as, as kind of like a relaxing thing. Yeah. You know, a, a few months ago, I've got a buddy who built this really nice pump track, dirt pump track in his backyard, and it's pretty legit. I don't know, maybe once a year I'll go down there, and he's got a dirt jumper bike I can use, and I spend the morning rolling around on that, and I'm... I don't have much experience with it at all, but I have a lot of fun. And I swear, like if I go mountain biking the next day or even a week later, I take corners totally different. I like use the trail totally different. I ride totally different in a positive way. Like it really does change the way I can like feel the bike and feel the trail just by spending a day on the pump track. So I can imagine getting back on a dirt bike at high speed and railing corners with an engine underneath you to like feel corners or getting on a BMX bike. It probably helps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when I was first getting into mountain biking um there was like a long it was like three years i didn't touch my dirt bike at all i was like so dead set i was racing so much on the mountain bike and stuff and everything i didn't have time I, well i wasn't actually taking like a proper off season or anything so yeah, i just go 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 yeah my my dirt bike wasn't really on my mind and then uh when i finally did get back on my dirt bike you know i I would go out to the track and stuff and uh, then coming back to my mountain bike, every descent just felt like slow motion almost. Yeah. And I was able to pick better lines, ride smoother, yeah, like looser. I've got a, a friend that I ride with a lot and he grew up similar story as you, you know, years and years of racing motocross and taking unnecessary risk and injuring himself. But now on a mountain bike, it's it's not even funny how efficient he is on a mountain bike compared to me. You know, I'll I'll be following him on maybe like a gentle uphill, reasonably technical trail, and I'll be like bearing down with everything I have, and he's like just coasting most of it, just just barely pedaling because he's so efficient in the corners and picking the lines, and he looks so relaxed, and I'm just like wound up so tight, and I, it's got to be because of that the the speed difference between 
a dirt bike and a mountain bike. He, he feels like he knows exactly what to look for and he's got all the time in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, the trans like just corner speed alone is if you can yeah. nail that you, you save so much energy. It's just free speed. Yeah. I, I lose like half a bike length on every corner to him. And then I got to dig deep on the straight to catch back up. And he's just holding one speed all the way through. Oh yeah. So you start racing mountain bikes. You also start racing cross in college. I remember you were showing up to a lot of the cross races and I think you did collegiate Nats as well, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so yeah, once I, I got a cross bike, um, just because there was the like Arizona cross series. Yeah. Um, and I was just, I was just like wanted to race anything and everything I could. Just love um, it. and then, yeah, I was, I transferred from community college, started to go to U of A, got on the U of A cycling team. Well, I went to collegiate mountain bike nets with, um, uh, I think 2015 was the first or 2014, the first year I went with them. Yeah. And then I did, um, collegiate cyclocross nationals, uh, twice at U of A. So I think, I think you were racing the local series in 2016, maybe. I don't remember what year it was, but there's a guy on our team who's been racing the local series for years and years. And most races he's going to win. Our fields are pretty small, but he's, he's so good and he's so consistent and he's, he's like, he's taught me a lot. And, uh, but I remember that year you showed up and I mean, it was a battle. Like every race was a battle, but I think you got him almost every time. And I was talking to this guy on my team about it. I was like, his his name is Kyle. I said, Kyle, what is what is why is Trudeau so good at cross? Like, what element in a race? Because he had gone back and forth with you the whole race, most of the series, and then you'd get him. And I said, is it his cornering? Is it his endurance? Is it his explosiveness? And he's like, it's everything. He's <laughs> he's it's just everything. He's just you're just a natural. And and coming from him and how many races I've seen him win, I was like, dang, this guy's legit. <laughs> yeah, I think. The main thing that helped me out, especially in the Arizona cross race, is just the corner speed. Yeah. Um, I mean, most of the cross races we have here, they're, they're not going to be muddy or anything. And if you can corner fast, like uh, keep your momentum up and save your energy, then you're going to have it at the end of the race. So now I got a bone to pick. What happened? Like, I haven't seen you at one of these races since 2016. <laughs> and I don't understand why people in Arizona don't race cross. We have so many um, bike enthusiasts and racers, and seems like everybody's got a cross bike or a gravel bike, but we just don't get the turnout. Is it because it's like you're at the end of a long season, you're like, I need a break at some point? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Uh, I can uh, all uh, blame my, my coach for that. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you got to give something up. Yeah, I have to take time away from racing at some point and usually like when the Arizona cross season's going that's when I need to take a step away and Arizona's actually a if you're an avid bike racer across multiple disciplines it's actually a, a, a tough spot to be in because we can race year-round and there are races year-round there's definitely a higher concentration of races at certain times but if you love to race your bike you're going to be riding year-round and you can race all year and you can only do that so long until you realize you're only hitting like 85% of your potential year round. You're never like above that. You're probably not below that either, but you're just kind of like average all year. And it's really hard to stop and say, no, nah, I, I got to like take this spot off. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, uh, when I was first getting into racing and, and, uh, like in college and stuff, I definitely, I was racing year round one year. 
um, I added up all my races and it was like 52 races and that was no stage races. It's not like I was doing stage races on the road. So that's like, that was like double headers on, on a lot of weekends and that was collegiate. That was road mountain bike cross. So yeah, if it's 52 races, you know, you didn't race every single weekend of the year, but you probably raced most weekends of the year. And a lot of those were doubled up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes there was um, some weekends I was able to do like three races in one weekend. And I mean, I was all for it back then. I didn't. Yeah, that was before I had a coach. I was I just wanted to I was like, well, this is the best way to go. Go faster is like bury myself every single every single time I'm on my bike. And there's there's something about racing where there's so many different scenarios that can play out where it's easy to make a tactical mistake or make a dumb decision or get your nutrition wrong. And you can have people explain those scenarios to you to like help you prevent it. But it kind of doesn't matter until you've made that dumb mistake. And then you're like, oh yeah, now I get it. And I'm never doing that again. So in the beginning, it's like, hey, race as much as you can, make all those dumb mistakes as fast as you can and just file those away. And then you're ready to go. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've been like that my entire, my entire life. I've never been good at like actually taking advice. I usually have to learn it the hard way, kind of go through it myself, and then uh, and then I realize what they said makes sense. Yeah, well, fifty-two races in a year—you probably covered most of those. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, did you finish at U of A? Did you yeah. Your degree. Yeah, I graduated uh, in May two thousand sixteen with an economics degree from Eller College of Management. There. Do you have a? Uh you know, someday when bike racing is not taking all your time, do you want to, you have this dream of working at a desk somewhere or? <laughs> I don't know about a desk, but I mean, yeah, someday I'll get a, I'll actually put my degree to use and cool. get a job. I want to stay within the cycling industry, hopefully yeah. get with a cool, uh, a cool company or brand and yeah, be able to. Well, uh, your past team teammate, Fernando just retired and started a, a gig with Cliff Bar. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Good for him. Yeah. That's yeah. He, he was working towards that last year and yeah, I'm happy to, I'm happy to see that he's been able to take it to that yeah. next step. So through college, you were just racing on the college team, the U of A cycling club team. Mm-hmm. You graduate. Was it right then that you started racing for CZ? Yeah. So actually I was on Arizona Devo. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Of course. So, I mean, I was like 21 years old. I was a cat too. I was like begging TJ uh, to yeah, let. So, so give give me a little summary on AZ Devo because TJ has cranked out so much talent and like built such a cool program, and I, I'm so curious and so fascinated by the success and and his the structure and everything. So, tell me a little bit about AZ Devo. Yeah, I mean uh, TJ is super. I mean, you you talk to him; he's a super chill guy. Uh, he's not overbearing or anything at all. Um, but he he knows what's important to like develop riders and it comes down to you know the athlete if if they want to take it to that next step he knows people to help you get there and he can help you get there with uh, uh his coaching company he can help you get to that next step but he's not gonna like force it upon yeah. any of his any of his athletes he uh and I mean, he was kind of a local killer for a while too. I mean, he raced all the local stuff and was always at the pointy end. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's he he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, definitely. He's I mean, he's still 
super strong. Yeah. 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 AZ Devo is this local development team. Somehow he finds the, I don't know if he finds these hidden gems or somehow he has a secret way of identifying them, or maybe now he's just got the reputation and they come to him, but there have been so many super talented kids, not just from a talent perspective, but just what seem like really great all around people that are really contributing to the sport now. And, and, uh, they're just a huge presence at all the races now. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you were racing for AZ Devo and then what? Yeah. Uh, I was 22. So on AZ Devo, I did like my one year of like U23 racing with them. And then after that, um, I mean, I only had one year racing under 23, uh, I mean, there wasn't many teams in the first place. I had heard, uh, I was like sending emails to everybody and anybody I knew, which at, at the time, like wasn't many people at all. <laughs> I was like super fresh into this sport, but actually talking to Wes at a race um, late in the season, uh, before I got onto CZ, he was talking, he had somehow gotten contact with Andy, yeah. uh, the owner of Construction Zone and the team. And they, he was, Andy was talking to Wes about putting uh, a team together with a few guys. Um, and then, so I got Andy's contact through Wes, um, sent Andy an email and yeah. And then a phone call and, and then the, <laughs> and then like the, the team was born. Yeah, boom. yeah. Wes kind of, what's his role he he does a lot of the like behind the scenes work doesn't he yeah so wes is like the team manager now yeah. cz racing um is there any other pro team that has a raptor as their <laughs> their team car <laughs> uh yeah not that i know of i think i think we got everyone on that one yeah that's pretty sweet <laughs> what seemed kind of like overnight this cz team springs up and just just runs away with it at like the marathon races and the cross-country races and just so professional and so respectful. Like I hate losing, and I hate that our team loses a lot of times. But it's not so bad when it's when it's <laughs> done by you guys because you're just so good at it. So this was whenever this was 2017 or 18. It starts. You guys kind of came up to speed real quick, and you had a decent roster, and you were traveling and winning and yeah. just rolling. Yeah. So uh, when Andy, so the first year, Andy and his uh, business partner Matt, they were. They were like the head of the team. So when they put it together, they they didn't want it super big or anything because it was the the mountain bike side of the team uh, was new for them. They had had a, uh, a road team, like a master's road team years before. Uh -huh. um, uh, Andy got really into mountain biking, wanted to put it put together a team. So kept it really small the first year. Him and Matt were willing to. They were like an open book. They just wanted to send us to races. Just get you out there. Yeah, get us out there. Um, so that first year, was Ryan Petrie already? Was he part of that first year? Yeah, yeah. You and Ryan and Fernando and... No, so the first year, um, it was me, Wes, and Ryan. Yeah, we were like the, like the pro side. Um, and then there was a handful of amateurs still yeah. on the team. And then, yeah, the the next year is when Fernando came on board and then Henry oh, Liddell, yeah. um, and Aaron Huck. No, Aaron was the year after okay. too. Okay. Um, and then it was either that second year, or maybe the third year you take Cal Skilski from AZ Devo 
Yeah. And I'm just like, gosh, dang it. <laughs> yeah. It's like if we weren't, if the, if the nail wasn't in the coffin yet, it is now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cal. Yeah. The one year I was on AZ Devo, Cal wasn't really racing too much that year. I think that was his first year in college and he was really focused on that. But yeah, then he got back on AZ Devo the year after. So the first year I was on CZ and then it was almost like a, it was pretty, uh, pretty natural that he just kind of like yeah. slide on into cz yeah I, when that happened i was like well i can't be surprised <laughs> yeah yeah he's so impressive yeah and then nash came on the year after that yeah nash came on uh 2000 i want to say 2018 yeah, yeah pretty sure it's 2018 yeah all of you guys are just so impressive mm-hmm. i did uh we were at old pueblo not this year but last year you guys were there trying to break the the record of most oh, laps yeah. and we were there trying to go as hard as we could and we got second place comfortably but you guys i think still lapped us <laughs> <laughs> so i mean we did really really well and we still got lapped by you guys and i think that was your nash went for this went solo and yeah. uh, just watching that poor guy suffer for that long i felt bad for him <laughs> yeah that nash that's uh that's like a whole different level of suffer that I can't yeah. even imagine. Uh, yeah, he at one point he was blind. Yeah, I remember like his eyes were like glazing over, or he went blind or something. Yeah, they were. He has he showed me some photos a couple weeks ago at team camp, and they were like completely cloudy. You couldn't pick out his pupil from like the rest of his eye. Like looked like Jeez. he had cataracts, so he had to shut it down for a few hours so he could like at least regain some vision to finish it off i think the year before taylor ledean had won it solo or maybe the year before i mean a lot of these hitters these really talented guys have gone for that solo every time i'm just like you're out of your mind i don't know is that common have you heard of that before like these 24-hour effort solo do people usually go blind or what happened i don't know how common it is but Nash said he had been talking to Taylor about it and I guess it is uh it it's mainly caused by the cold because oh. it was really cold that year yeah I think uh, I think at like three in the morning it was like gosh it was like in the 20s yeah yeah and the, so cold. I just remember one of my laps in the middle of the night like the the single track was like frozen over yeah I was like oh this feels like super hard packed and fast and then I my tires started to slide and I was like Oh, it's because the trail's frozen yeah. right now. Yeah, like th- that dew came in and then it froze and it was like sparkling out there. Yeah. It was like, geez, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, that that weekend was rough. Just so cold. Yeah. But but yeah, I guess when it's super cold like that, your eyes, I guess they stop wow. working. You've done a lot of the Epic Rides events. I mean, you're always at the Whiskey. You've done Grand Junction. You've done um, Carson City. I think you went out and did the new one, uh, Oz Trails or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you've done like all of them. Yeah, I've done the uh, the Epic Ride series every year since they've actually called it like a series. Yeah, I think um, you didn't you end up on the podium for the series overall. Yeah, 2017, uh, I ended up second in the series. It yeah. was Howard, Howard Grotz, me, and then Payson. Yeah, yeah. Those are those are big names. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. That was that was a that was a pretty good year of racing. For what, me. Were you just was it like a, a consistency thing? Like every race you were just in it and had a good race, just one after the next. Yeah, yeah. It was just it came down to being consistent because back then it was all cumulative time, uh-huh. um, and then at all three back then it was Whiskey Grand Junction and Carson, so it was just three races. But I had 
I had really solid races um, with no mechanicals or anything. Yeah. So yeah, consistency got me got me that second. I've done whiskey. Um, it's really hard, but it's such a fun weekend. Like Prescott is such a cool scene, and that that whole weekend is just so fun. Like the bike culture is just thriving, and the race course is kind of unique it's kind of got more pavement than you think it should it's got a lot of fun single track it's got a lot of dirt roads got like everything i have my own opinion as an amateur but for somebody that's racing as a pro and with some of the you know howard's in these races and keegan and payson tell me your take on the whiskey course and they've they've changed it a couple of times over the last few years added new single track taking out the water bars shortens the skull valley climb what's your take on the whiskey course the the whiskey course to me just seems like a really good like all around course that tests not just like handling skills and like technical climbing ability but also just raw power a lot of it does come down to just the skull valley climb but you have to put yourself in the position before that to even be in contention up the skull valley climb yeah kind of like you're not going to win it just because of Skull Valley, if you're some super climber, yeah. just, just because of Skull Valley alone, you're not going to win it. You mm-hmm. have to have done the work and, and be solid enough in all these other areas and be able to do Skull Valley if you want to hang in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It is with the new course, it is slightly different because you have so much of a single track after the Skull Valley climb. Yeah. Um, but yeah, before, I mean, you, it would be broken up into groups of like four or five going into the Skull Valley climb and you pretty much had to be in your position um, as you start that Skull Valley descent. Like right. you can't, you can't just, you know, be in the third group back and yeah. Cause those groups form on that climb and yeah. there's not really moving from one group to the next real well. It's like, no. Hey, wherever you're at, you better just sit tight. <laughs> yeah. If you're like a really good climber, you might jump up one group and like catch some of the dudes that get popped. But yeah, yeah, you're not going to like go from the third group back and be, you know, up there with grots yeah. climbing. Yeah, two years ago when I did whiskey on Saturday in the amateur race, it was exactly like that. I was in the lead group. We get down to the bottom of Skull Valley. We turn around. We thought that we had a huge gap and we turn around the cone and there's the second group and they're only like 10 seconds behind us. And Becker was in that group and a bunch of really strong guys. And I'm thinking oh, for sure the second group is going to catch us. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen and they just that second group just stayed behind us by like 15 seconds the whole way up the hill it's it, when both groups are hitting it as hard as they can and working together it's, it's just kind of locked in place it seems like yeah yeah and especially um i mean the the lower part of the climb is still fairly fast moving where i mean being in a group is going to be beneficial yeah. um when you get towards the top when it gets steeper that's when the real separation comes yeah you hit that aid station yeah but then every by that point you're whatever 30 miles in Mm -hmm. everybody's like burnt more than half their matches people are starting to crack oh yeah and that's when it jumps up to like seven percent for another whatever three miles and then the wheels start coming off (laughs) yeah for me yeah that's where i mean you can you're you know at that point whether you're gonna be passing people or getting passed by people yeah exactly that's either where you like earn your paycheck or just say good night <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah those those events are so fun that's with everything that's going on right now with all the races being canceled it feels like that's one that hurts the most having whiskey canceled i was really looking forward to going up for that weekend and it's just so cool yeah i'm yeah i'm really disappointed in that too i mean 
of course like bike racing is super like small compared to everything else going on right now but but yeah that weekend it's always good i always have my whole family up there and yeah we make it like a, a really fun family thing yep so i want to touch on last year's point to point i know you've done point to point a handful of times but i was up there in utah last year cheering on a bunch of my friends and then afterwards i actually did an interview with uh, alex grant who won it for the oh now i forget maybe like the ninth time or eighth time he, i think he's undefeated he's he's yeah. the king of point to point yeah i yeah he's he's won it every time he's raced it. yeah I know that. and he's such a nice guy yeah. and he's, he's such an open book and it was really neat to talk to him but you were in his group for most of the day and i remember i was jumping to all these different aid stations and watching you guys come through um, and then hearing Alex's take on the, uh, on the race was really interesting. I want to, I want to hear how that went for you. I mean, basically you just barely got distance from them, like, like a mile before that lake, whatever silver lake at the top or whatever. Yeah. And it's from how I looked at it as like, man, if he could have just held on <laughs> to the top, who knows what would have happened? Or maybe you were cracked. I don't know. Tell me about that day. Yeah. That point to point last year, that was like one of the highlights of my season. Uh, for sure that was the my third year doing that race and yeah I knew I knew going into it you just had to stay towards the front and like stay in the front group like everything else will either fall into place um, as long as I just stay in that front group so it started off fast there was there's this one guy just sitting on the front pulling for I don't really know is that out in Round Valley yeah, like so it starts off on that bike path. Yeah. Um and there's this one dude just driving it on the front. It's like, "Hey, thanks man. Keep it yeah, up." Yeah. <laughs> he 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 had the whole group strung out. Um but I mean, you're sitting in doing like 250 watts, that's yeah. about it. And you're just you start doing the math and you're like, "How long can this guy yeah. do this?" Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "I'm happy to let him just sit up there." Yeah. Uh and then I knew that first that first hard left onto single track is a pretty key point yeah. because you hit that single track and the sun's just like right in your eyes. So I positioned myself well for that first single track. Um, and I was either second or third into that first, uh, long stretch of single track, which I was, I was super happy with. Um, there wasn't a huge fight going into it. There had been years prior where there was people like cutting the corner, going through bushes, into that yeah. single track but this past year it was it was uh it wasn't too aggressive and then that kind of set the tone for the rest of the race i just i knew where i needed to pos position myself well like when it mattered and when it didn't and then i was always top five for most of the race until it got down to um there was a point when it was just me alex grant and um zach colton yeah because um, fernando had been with you guys until you got through you went past the tennis courts you were all together you got to um i forget that station where the lift you would go right by the lift up by that that resort oh yeah uh is that where a lot of people were were getting aids yeah yeah a lot of people getting stuff. feed right there yeah. you were together and then i think it was between there and the next point where you hit the pavement for a second fernando dropped off and then i i think it was just you three after that yeah yeah fernando just kind of popped um and then talking to him after he he was having a lot of issues with the elevation yeah. um he, he came into the pcmr base park city base there 
and he he looked in rough shape. I think he just had a bad day. Yeah, yeah. He I mean he was, he came from practically sea level, so yeah. um, he had had some issues with the elevation in the past. So anyway, you you start heading up. It's just you three. Yeah, and uh, so it's just us three, and I was happy to just follow those two guys' wheels. They're they're Utah locals. Yeah. Um, I know they have a little bit more experience with the trails and and that race um and then zach was just driving it yeah like every climb he wasn't looking for any help he was just driving it um that's exactly what alex said he said that zach was just like aggressive yeah and like pushing every corner and just happy to just lay it down yeah normally like i can usually just sit up chill on the descents like no problem but he was hitting the descent so hard i don't I mean, he's a great bike handler. Yeah. Um, and he maybe a little more knowledge of the trails he had, but I was, I was like, hoping for the next climb just yeah. so I could like, kind of like take a mental break yeah. and just turn the pedals. But uh, yeah, and then he, uh, I started to get dis- distance, and it was because of Zach. He was just driving the pace and was he like was he throwing in these diggers and surging or was it that that like popped you or was it just slowly just stretch 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 and pop yeah it wasn't he wasn't like attacking or anything he just was keeping the pace high the entire time yeah we're getting towards the top of one of the climbs and i didn't know exactly when it topped out looking back i don't know if i could have like held on to the top of it or not yeah, it's easy knows. to say I could have, like, looking back, but... Except then you get over around the lake, and you start going down, and Zach just starts drilling it on the yeah. down again, and, yeah, who knows? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I just hung in with them as long as I could, and I knew the longer I stayed with them, the bigger gap would be back to, like, fourth place. Yeah. And I just hoped... I was able, I had enough of a cushion to where I could hobble, yeah, <laughs> hobble to the finish, finish line, uh, which ended up happening. But well, I mean, let me correct you a little bit. Cause I did a little bit of Strava stalking. I, so I saw you at the finish line and I sat down and said, what's up for a second. And you seemed fine. It, you didn't seem like you were worked <laughs> over that bad. And I'm like, man, he just spent a long time, like hours by himself out on that trail. <laughs> and, uh, then I, I got and looked at your Strava file and your your speed really didn't fall off it's not like you hobbled in and barely like you got ga- you got distance from them and then you just put it in cruise control and just whoo, just brought it in i was really impressed yeah like like the gap to those two guys was less at the end than i thought it was gonna be yeah it which i kind of kick myself for it's like what if yeah like maybe i could have just dug that little bit deeper and and hung with him just over that climb and then and then maybe he would have maybe zach and alex would have been you know worked over just a little bit more and exactly if you if you put one more person if, if, if it becomes a group of three racing against each other like the dynamic totally changes and mm-hmm. maybe you know things get hard when it shouldn't for one guy and then he gets you know you just don't know but yeah. once you get separated in a race like that, you have no idea. You don't know if you're 10 minutes behind or, or 30 seconds behind. It's just no man's land. Yeah, yeah. You There's no, yeah, we have no radios to tell us our, our gaps or anything. So you have to just like, you just have to fall back on your pacing and hope that yeah. your pace is the right pace to either make up time or not lose time. So speaking of racing, or excuse me, speaking of pacing, 
are you a real data guy, like power meter driven, heart rate driven, know your zones, know this? Are you really dialed that way or are you more of the old school race on feel? Yeah, I, uh, I pretty much just race on feel. Um, it's, it's super hard to try and look at numbers while you're racing. Um, I guess specific, especially on a mountain bike, it doesn't yeah. really work like a road bike does. Yeah. I mean, your, your power is bouncing around so much on a mountain bike. It's really, I look at, I analyze it or my coach analyzes it after, yeah. um, and I'll look at it after, but the main thing I, f- I like focus on for races is who do I need to like be with to be in contention yeah. for the race? Like who do I need to, what groups and what certain people um, do I need to position myself with to to be a, in contention for the race? So that works when you're racing Alex Grant and Zach Colton, but there's been a lot of uh, NBA races, our local series here. Like I remember last year, I think it was last year, um, that the season opener, McDowell Meltdown, it, it always has the best turnout. There's like a thousand people there. Yeah. It's three weeks after Christmas. People got their new bike. <laughs> everyone's jazzed. Everyone's hyped. <laughs> yeah, everyone's so pumped for McDowell. Sell out crowds. So it wouldn't have been, it might have been three years ago. I don't remember. I enter the marathon race. You're in the marathon race and you were just gone. Like actually Wes went with you for a little bit. And I think Wes sent this, set this really awesome pace, like <laughs> through that short, through the, uh, the sport loop. And then we got on that coach whip climb or whatever it's called. And you just like rode off into the sunset and I'm in the next group with some really fast guys. And I'm, I'm like, I'm past the limit. I'm not on the limit. I'm like past the limit thinking like I got 45 miles. Like I'm going to blow so hard here in a second, but I stay in the group and you're just, we can see you like, I don't know, 30 seconds up there by yourself, calm and cool as can be. You get to the top and you, you were just gone. So you don't have a problem racing by yourself yeah obviously yeah i guess like in in situations like that yeah i'm i'm purely kind of racing just on feel um yeah and especially on a course that i'm familiar with uh i kind of you almost you have this like muscle memory i guess of what it feels like when you're going fast on certain sections of the course yeah you're Um, like when i get on pemberton (laughs) this is what i need to do yeah so so and like when you're feeling good and, and everything. Uh, yeah, it's easy to race on feel like that. Um, but actually this past year at McDowell, um, I kind of, I did the marathon again, took off kind of how I had the two previous years, hit the single track first, set a really hard tempo. And, uh, I had a gap like going up Dixie mine already. And I thought I was like, I was like, all right, it's going to be a solo day. But, um, Ethan Overson, uh, bridged up, up to me. I had, uh, kind of set it at a, uh, kind of settled into a pace. He catches up to me. Um, and then, and then, yeah, my, my whole kind of race strategy, like all of a sudden just changes. Yeah. Um, and then, uh. A guy from Two Wheel Jones, oh, Travis Joe. Waldron, oh Joe, yeah, Joe Susco, yeah, he he catches up to me, and then it was kind of like both those guys kept yo. I like I knew where I wanted to be ahead of both those guys just from my handling. Uh, I felt like I had a a leg up on both those guys like handling wise. So descending uh, Pemberton and stuff, I felt like I could get a gap, and then but it they they were like yo-yoing back and forth like for a lot of the race and i was like 
I really don't want this to come down to like the final long like, loop, like the final long loop. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, I made up in my mind, uh, there's that one part on the comp loop where the trail splits and you can take that ledge and then it's a, I don't know, a few minute hard climb. Yep. And I was like, that's going to be my place to attack. And if I can't get a gap there, then it's going to have to come down to the line. Um, so I went all in with an attack there, was able to get... A and that, that climb is enough. Like It's not that long, but if you go all in, it can put you way into the red. Like It, it can be hard, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and that's what I always forget. You, you can go really deep there, and for the rest of that lap, which is, I don't know, you have eight miles left at that point or so, there's not long recovery ever. Right. It's it's super rolly. You're you feel like you're always just teetering on that on that red line. And looking back, that's pretty much what I did. I was looking at my file after the race and I hit that climb, my heart rate my heart rate like skyrockets and then it was just, just never came down. Yeah, it was just all the way to the finish. Um but it ended up working out. So Yeah, there you go. No complaints. Yeah, you you've you've got pretty much there's a lot of races out there you know the cactus cup and and mcdowell meltdown there's a lot of stuff and each course is a slightly different variant but you've raced all uh combinations so many times it's like you, you know where to where to go and what to do yeah yeah i'd say uh mcdowell racing out mcdowell is kind of like home yeah i've always enjoyed racing there Riding out there gets kind of boring. Now. So talking about McDowell, you've raced, I mean, you've raced Park City and California and Colorado. I mean, you've been all over, you've raced all over Arizona. Where's the best? Where's your favorite place to, I could say race and ride. Maybe they're different. Maybe they're the same. I don't know. What's your, what's your favorite in Arizona, let's say. Oh, in Arizona. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say McDowell's my favorite place to race. It's just, it kind of has a little bit of everything. I mean, there's no long climbs or anything, but just, it feels like the competitive loop and parts of like the tech loop it, and sport loop, it just feels like a big racetrack. Like yeah, a, it's like a bike playground. Yeah. And like a big like motocross track. You can just get into a flow out there that's like, yeah, you're just ripping. Uh, it's super fun. This year in the uh, men's elite cross country race, they uh, changed the course to more of kind of almost like a, a World Cup format. You know, they had that yeah. sport sport tech loop which is six or seven miles and they did like four laps which is kind of a cool format it'd be fun to have more of a world cup style course here in arizona for racing on but we just don't have it yeah it would be um i think it would help kind of bring out like maybe get more guys here to actually travel to arizona to race yeah instead of just like always the always the local guys but yeah. i heard some mixed things about that the mbaa Oh, how, yeah. how they did that elite race everyone liked the course but they said it it kept the race together it was really hard to to create any yeah. separation out there yeah it was a big group all all the way to almost the very end and then it, it opened up a little bit but yeah yeah i could see that this year so cz construction zone you guys have been racing on scott bikes for years you went through like seemed like four three or four different versions of that scott bike you have the black and white and then the black, the yellow and black and a different yellow and black i mean you race that bike to the death yeah and now you're on a on an epic which is pretty sweet yeah so 2017 18 and 19 we were on scott's um but yeah i made the switch to specialized um two bottles 
Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'd say, uh, if nothing else, that's the best benefit, uh, with the specialized two water bottle cages inside the frame. You know, it's, it's funny when I'm talking about mountain bikes with my friends, I mean, we're talking about five, six, eight, ten thousand $10,000 bikes. And it's like the only thing that people want to talk about is, does it have two bottle cages? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, is that what this all comes down to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, for racing, I mean, having two water bottle cages isn't a huge deal, huge deal, but I mean, most of the time you're out there training. Yeah. Um, I hate wearing a camelback. Yeah. And so. I mean, hello, we're in Arizona. Yeah. Up until, I don't know, April, maybe not a big deal, but anything after that, you're going to die if you don't have enough water. So yeah. anyway, oh, so you've been doing a lot of road races this year. I've seen you had a bunch of the crits and you did Valley of the Sun. I'm curious, maybe there, there isn't much to talk about here on this, but you are also racing on a specialized delay, the aluminum bike. Yeah. What's your take on that? Does it feel any, I think, did you have a foil before a Scott foil? Yeah. So I had a Scott foil for about a year and a half or so, but I've actually had a couple allays in the past. Yeah. I love the allay. It, it's like a full on race machine. There's there's no give to it really. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty pretty stiff, um, which I like. It feels like every ounce of power you're putting into it. I mean, the bike you're transferring it go. to the road. So I really like that aspect of it. And it's definitely not as smooth of a ride as my foil. But on the other hand, my foil felt a little flexy. Yeah. Um, but the LA. I mean, yeah, they're bulletproof. Yeah, and I'm always kind of keeping an eye out on like Craigslist or on on Steve Bay. If if one of those pops up in my size for the right price, I would I would think about buying one. They're pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the LA. And aluminum's not all bad because I mean Ethan Overson's having a well up until the season stopped, he was having a killer season. I mean, just crushing the local scene. And a lot of his races, he was on an aluminum bike, too. That Trek, I think, is, that he's on is an aluminum bike. Yeah. Yeah, with his Gateway team, they're on, I don't know, whatever they, yeah. whatever Trek calls those. Yeah. All right. I'm, tell me about your tattoos. Are you a type of tattoo guy that every tattoo means something and there's a story and it's in this? Or is it more like a art collector and like you like the artistic aspect of this? So I'll get this one. Or Like, tell me about your tattoos. Yeah. I mean, you, you have a pretty sweet chest piece. You got them on your arms. You got a lot of them. Yeah, my chest piece was uh yeah, my first tattoo. Um, that was your your chest piece was your first? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I went pretty big for my first tattoo. And and yeah, that one has some meaning. I mean, I ha it says family first. I mean, my family means everything to me. And then I have the Arizona flag inside a sprocket, but I feel like a lot of my tattoos are kind of like a balance between um like meaning and just artistically looking good. Yeah. Uh my sister's drawn almost all my tattoos for me uh and then i take them to my tattoo artist actually my sister and i have matching tattoos she has an anchor with a quote and mine's like a old grandfather clock so so yeah definitely my tattoos have meaning behind them but i mean i have a diamond on my arm that has not much meaning at all you're just it like just, oh, diamonds cool <laughs> yeah i like diamonds uh it fit fit on my arm pretty well so are you on like a one tattoo per year schedule are you like always thinking in the back of your mind like all right what's the next one or are you kind of at a stopping spot like what what's your rate of uh acquiring tattoos yeah i'm always i'm always thinking about what what's gonna be my next tattoo but I mean, they're with you for quite a long time, so I don't like rush into it ever. But when I have an idea I want, I, I usually 
try to get it pretty quickly. A lot of people I've talked to with tattoos say that the first one's like really hard and you're scared and you're not sure. And then almost as soon as it's done and you have it and you look at it, you think I got to get another one. Like you start thinking about that next one and yeah. I don't know, maybe the more you get the, the easier it gets or the more enjoyable it gets or something. I don't know, but yeah, definitely. As soon, like as soon as I get a new tattoo right after that is when I want another tattoo the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of funny and to, to think about that way, but it, it's the truth. Uh, and yeah, right now I'm, I'm slowly, like slowly piecing together a sleeve. So eventually it'll all be done, but eventually I want to have it all, f all filled in with some, uh, a couple more pieces and then just some filler some to filler. tie it together. Yeah. That's cool. Do you have one artist that you always go to? Yeah. So far, um, Clint, he works at black Rose right now. He's done. He's here in Tucson. He's done all my tattoos. I figure I'll finish my, my arm with him for sure. Just, Keep I like consistent. his, yeah, I like his style and figure it'll flow together better that way. Tell me about your sock guy sponsorship. Oh yeah. Mostly because your socks are always really cool <laughs> and nobody, I don't see many other people wearing them. Like they almost always have a skull on them. And, uh, Tell me about Sock Guy. I think it's cool. Yeah, Sock Guy. Uh, I've been with them for three years now. Um, that was just another email I sent. And they've been... Uh, Jason from Sock Guy, he's been super cool. They're such an awesome company to work with. And they every year they let me design a sock. And uh, yeah, they, they're free to do it. They like, they'll do anything I want. So. so you design the sock. And then like if I go to Sock Guy, can I buy the Kyle Trudeau sock? Uh, I don't, I don't think they have them on their website. They just make it for you. Yeah. They just make it for me and they send me a bunch, uh, and, that's cool. uh, but I can get you some. I yeah. I, I would love to have yeah. a Trudeau sock I, guy sock. I got some here. So, Sweet. um, I think, did you just get a new one? Yeah. About, uh, about a month ago, I got my, my newest sock in. It's a, uh, it's like grim reaper drinking coffee. Yeah. I saw that and I'm like, man, that is cool. <laughs> I want one of those. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm pretty happy with, with them this year. They're, they're sweet. I jumped on their website the other day and on their list of athletes, one of their athletes is a uh, Carolyn Mani, who's a female cyclocross racer. I think she's French, but she raced yeah. a lot domestically in the States this year. And mm -hmm. she's another killer. That's pretty cool. I was like, Oh wow. She's a sock guy athlete as yeah. well. That's cool. Yeah. I got to, uh, last summer I was in Colorado Springs and that's where, that's where she lives. So I got to talk to her a little bit. Um, so we're sitting here next to this Yamaha looks like a spaceship, but <laughs> it's a motorcycle. You also have some really cool photography on your Instagram. I think you have a, you must have a friend who's a professional photographer or something. Cause he has got some shots of you on this bike that are so sick. It makes me want to buy a bike, but tell me about your street bike. Yeah. Well, first off Scotty. Yeah. He's uh he's the one that takes a lot of the photos, uh, hammer vision. If you ever want to check him out on Instagram or anything, but, uh, but yeah, it's a Yamaha FZ09, uh, 849 cc's. It's a, it's pretty much a rocket ship. It's way faster than I need, but is is perfect. Lemon like the place to take something like that? I, I'm not a motorcycle guy, but I imagine taking it up Lemon's got to be so fun. Oh yeah, yeah, Lemon, Lemon's a blast on it. Um, I mean the corners are are super wide, so you can just you can take them at such high speed and, and, you know, I know, I know where, where the cops are usually hiding out. Um, <laughs> it's always fun to just rip up it and rip down it. Uh, it's like a completely different 
sensation than you get like on a bicycle for sure up lemon can you ride a wheelie on my street bike i can't really ride it i can pop them up and stuff but i haven't got confident enough to like try and ride them too long yeah that goes back to what i was saying <laughs> at the beginning of the consequence of failure yeah. is way higher <laughs> yeah yeah because like doing a wheelie on a bicycle you i mean you can do them pretty fast but you're you have to be going like 30 to 40 miles an hour at minimum on a street bike yeah. to to ride a wheelie yeah exactly okay so I know that uh, last year or two years ago, I mean, you were coming on so strong. You were crushing, you were winning, you were traveling. It might have been the same year as the Epic Rides or maybe just after, but suddenly you started to struggle. You're having some issues. You couldn't get it figured out. Found out it was this iliac artery issue, mm -hmm. which I think is the same problem that uh, Pauline Fran Prevost had, yeah. got fixed, and then I think she just had it again. Yeah, I think Pauline's thing, she had it in both legs. Oh. Um, so she had surgery on her more affected leg. Um, and then I think she only had surgery on one leg at a time. But yeah, and then she went back to, to correct it in her other leg. So it, it seems like one of these issues that maybe it's not common among cyclists. Maybe they're just the ones that notice it because they use their legs to that extent. But was maybe Fabio Aru had it. There was some yeah. world tour guy that had it as well. You know, yeah. Um, it was, uh, yeah, super frustrating. It was like November leading into November 2017, leading into the 2018 season, uh, that's when I really started to notice something weird. Anytime I had to do a high intensity effort, um, that leg would go completely like powerless. It's, it's super hard to describe, but um, it pretty much turned into like dead weight. And yeah, so th this is what I've been trying to imagine when I've heard about this injury. Does it feel like an injury? Like, oh, something's hurting? Or does it feel numb? Or does it feel, is it just like it, it's not responding? Like, w what is that like? Yeah, it, well, what it felt like to me is like a crazy amount of lactic buildup that I wasn't able to flush it out. And it, it was like to the point where I couldn't even like turn that leg over. Um, Did this come on? suddenly or was it like this slow build i noticed it towards the very end of the 2017 season but then i took time off the bike and you know there was a long time when i was doing no intensity towards my build to 2018 and then when i really started to incorporate intensity uh building towards 2018 that's when i really noticed it and um, so when you say intensity is this like vo2 stuff yeah yeah it's like vo2 for me it, it seemed to be it would come on really quickly whenever i was like sustaining like 400 watts or so yeah um for any given amount of time um asking everybody i knew what it could be nobody had like answers for me so i was trying to like self-diagnose getting nowhere finally i was i started to find some articles online it was describing exactly what I was feeling. By this time, it was like towards the end of December and I was finally able to get in to see a doctor about it. Um, so I'd already been struggling with it for like a month and a half. And then I go in to see a doctor and I was trying to describe to him, I was like, I think this is what I have. You know, a doctor's appointment, they would have to do one step in their, um, in their process with it being such like a rare thing to to the general public it's not something they see all the time and have a lot of practice with yeah for, with it being like a blood flow issue and me being like a healthy active young 
adult, it's like the complete opposite of what like the normal person they see. So yeah, the diagnosis process was the most frustrating thing ever. And at that point, I didn't know if I was going to try and race through it that season, try and get it fixed, or even when I was going to actually be diagnosed and be able to get surgery to correct it. I know that doctors hate WebMD because like (laughs) people come in, you're like, hey, doc, don't worry. I already know what's wrong. I just need you to write me a prescription. I got on WebMD. Was he like rolling his eyes like, okay, young man, I know you got on WebMD and you think you have this (laughs) iliac artery, but we need to do some tests. And then at the end, you're like, ha. I told you. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, my my doctor was super open-minded about it. Um, I had been referred to him from a friend that had knew, known him, and he was super interested in it the whole time just because of the situation, me being young and healthy. Yeah, elite uh, athlete. Yeah, he was... Yeah, he was willing to, to kind of do whatever, but still going through each step, they they did an ultrasound of my artery like at rest, which showed no issues. They did blood pressure at rest, of course, showed no issues. At it, one, it only becomes a problem when you're up in those upper zones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And at one point they had even, uh, it was called an intravascular ultrasound. So they actually have a camera, they stick into my artery. They pull that camera through my artery, trying to see if they can see any blockage or buildup. Um, And even that came back negative. And through a lot of the research I had done, I was like, I've read that the only way you can diagnose it for sure is like an actual field test, um, a blood pressure test where they take the blood pressure at your ankles at rest, um, which is usually completely fine. And then you, I would ride until I had the symptoms. And then then, take it now. Yeah. And then they take it. They take it after and it'll show a discrepancy and and finally uh by this point it was february of 2018 it had been a long process already um and i took my trainer and my road bike into the doctor's office set it up in one of the uh one of the rooms and and just sat wow. just rode until i was like yeah i'm feeling there, it there it is yeah, and they uh, took my blood pressure, and the crazy thing was the blood pressure in my non-affected leg compared to rest was like at 110%, but the blood pressure in my affected leg was only 20% of what it should have been. So, yeah. And, then, and as soon as they saw that, they are like, oh, uh, yeah. yep, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then they actually did an ultrasound of the artery. When they do an ultrasound of your artery, it's supposed to be like pretty even waves look. It looks okay. like normal waves. But on my affected side, it was it was like a squiggly line. Like wow. my my artery wasn't even pumping correctly. So that along with um, the scar tissue that had built up in my artery, I was getting hardly any blood. So what leg. is at, at the most fundamental, simple level, what is the nature of this condition? Like what, what's happening to cause the problem? Basically just the anatomy of person to person. So what's happening is where your artery goes through your pelvis, like when you're in the cycling position, sometimes it pinches and stretches more so than somebody that's never going to have this issue. Um, but for me over time, just the constant pinching and stretching of that artery 
caused buildup oh, wow. in the artery. Of like scar tissue and just yeah. tissue and pretty soon it was restricting flow. Yeah. So they go in, they had to go in there and scrape it all out. Yeah. So what they did is uh, they sliced me open. They cut like four inches of my artery, long ways on the artery. Um, they had to clean it all out and they patched it actually with a, uh, a piece of an artery from a cow. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. I... I honestly didn't know what they were doing before I went as a surgery. I knew they were going to like cut my artery open and clean it out. But afterwards, so they, the, they removed a four inch section of yours yeah. and said, Hey, grab this over here from the cow <laughs> and uh, just sew this one in and in its place. Yeah. Yeah. So after the surgery, I'm like waking up from surgery and he's like, yeah, I, I patched it up with a piece of bovine and I had to like, <laughs> like excuse me, but what? <laughs> yeah. I like, I like went on my phone and I was like, bovine it was like, cow back here i go to webmd again <laughs> yeah. webmd what is bovine <laughs> yeah and he was like i was like wow so i have a little cow cow patch in me that's pretty cool you know it's uh it's like in star wars where he says uh he's more machine than man now it's like kyle Trudeau, he's more he's partially cow and yeah, man I, I actually like to say bull yeah there or, you go it was from a bull not a not just a cow yeah, that's good. That's good. So, um, are you at risk of it develop? Like, if your pelvis and artery is shaped that way, and riding a bike put that strain on it, is there a potential that it reoccurs? There is, but it's super low because actually the surgeon, when he patched it, he he patched it to allow. So my artery is actually bigger than it than it was before. So yeah, if it's there like it got bored out. Yeah. <laughs> so if there is more buildup and stuff, um there's there's room to compensate pretty That's much. Cool. So wow. The recovery was probably pretty rough. I I imagine like if you if they had to sew in a new section of artery and all of that those stitches on the artery is really fragile. Yeah. It was probably very cautious for a while after, hey no no power lifting, no writing all of that yeah so it was uh the surgeon it was like he said he had to do 200 little stitches uh to sew it all back up and it was six weeks like no activity like after the surgery arizona spring the best time <laughs> yeah. of year you're yeah. just you're just watching from the stands exactly uh, so you mentioned a bit ago about your coach and how you'll send him your power files is that tenac or tell me about your coach because it seems like he coaches anybody all the people in Arizona that are winning races, it seems like he's coaching them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jason Tullis from uh, Go Tonight Coaching. Um, I got hooked up with him when I joined CZ. Before before I got into CZ, I wasn't, I'd never been coached or anything. Um, and then actually when I was on CZ and they're like, when I got onto CZ and they're like, hey, we can offer you some coaching services. I was actually hesitant because I was like, well, I've gotten like, this far like i feel like i'm on the right path like why do i need a coach but jason i mean he was like an open book he he pretty much told me how it would benefit me he's like it's not just like him telling me what to do it's me giving him input too um so yeah i've been with him since 2016 and i so mean what's the what's the general like format of your of your relationship with him like is he building a whole plan all built in training peaks and like every day's workout is structured monday is this tuesday's that and you just flip on your your garmin or your wahoo and it loads up and you go do it or like how interact tell me I, I'm, I'm curious what that's like because you have so many good results so many of his other athletes have amazing results he clearly knows what he's doing and i'm, I'm curious what that relationship's like 
Yeah, so it all it all starts during off season before before even base season or build or anything. Um, I sit down with him, uh, lay out a plan uh, for the year, or at least what races um, I want to pinpoint throughout the year to be like big goals of mine. Um, and then from there, it turns into base build. And yeah, it's every day on Training Peaks. Um, he has a workout or lack of a workout telling me what to do whether it's an endurance ride a day of intervals or that's group cool. ride it takes all i mean i have no guesswork i it's all set i just look at training peaks and tells me exactly what i need to do some people really thrive in that super structured um take all the guesswork out some people they really struggle with that because they're like i just want to ride with my friends i just i don't know i just want to go have fun type of thing has it been has there been growing pains converting over to somebody sending me what I'm doing every day or not a big deal? Yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest thing I struggle with is I always want to just go out there and do a big, hard ride all the time. And I mean, there's been multiple times, Jason, I mean, he constantly has to tell me like, Hey, back it down, yeah. take a chill pill. Like you don't need to be riding hard. You only need to be riding to this point and then and, stop yeah and then chill it's less is more for yeah sure. i've the handful of pros i've talked to about this all agree that a lot of amateurs or people that don't have a coach or people that don't have the experience they don't ride hard enough when it's time to ride hard and they don't ride easy enough when it's time to go easy they just spend yeah. way too much time in that middle zone day after day and i think it really does take an expert to know when to say, no, you're not going hard enough. And I know it hurts and maybe it feels like you can't, but you need to. Yeah. And it also takes the expert to say, hey, stop, don't, go yeah. home, rest. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've I've been in that boat many times riding really hard when I shouldn't. And and then, yeah, it comes down to when you really need to ride hard and, and it's, it's less of what it should actually be. Is Go Tanak on, uh, is he down here in Tucson or is he in Phoenix? Where is he at? Uh, he lives in Rio Rico now, but yeah, he, uh, he was here in Tucson for a long time. What, what is up with Tucson? I mean, <laughs> there's so many killers coming out of Tucson all the time. Like now we got this Riccatello kid. Oh yeah. Who's, he's, it's he's just insane. stupid. It's stupid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He weighs probably 60 pounds. Like, <laughs> so we, we do El Tour and you were at El Tour. We rode for a little bit together and I think you had just spent like a month off the bike and decided it'd be a good idea to come out for <laughs> yeah, El Tour. That was that was a really poor decision. <laughs> yeah, and you know a lot of times El Tour El Tour is so cool, but a lot of times th there's always you know big names and some pros and some retired pros that come, but a lot of times they're just there to have fun and ride with their friends. Yeah, it seemed like this year a lot of them came. They're like, no, I, I'd like to win this year or I, I want to go hard today. Yeah, El so yeah El Tour de Tucson so funny. Everybody's like, oh, it's just El Tour de Tucson. I'm not gonna take it serious. Yeah, and then race day comes. And yeah, that, you have, how about that neutral rollout? Yeah, you have <laughs> you have Quinn Simmons, Travis McCabe, Eric McCott, yeah, <laughs> all yeah. these dudes lined up, and and they're all in it to win. I'm like, guys, last week you're saying it's just El Tour. Yeah, like, come exactly, on. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, they're throwing these attacks that are just like putting me in the grave, you yeah. know. Anyway, so we get into this. We're like halfway in, and and it had been a hard day, and I was I was struggling, and this little. Riccatello kid I don't know I don't know is he 17 18 maybe I don't yeah, know he's like 17 or 18 now. he's he's so small yeah. he's sitting on the front just 
burying it and it's strung out and he's just he's fine he's just sitting on the front yeah. like i'm happy to do this so he, he, he has such a bright future and i think mm-hmm. he was one of the uh i think he was one of like the three or four kids racing with quinn in europe last year as juniors that you know quinn and magnus sheffield just were winning non-stop yeah like all those cremesses and road races and eventually worlds and i think he was right in that group helping deal all those blows yeah yeah definitely because he was on that lux squad yeah so i mean they that lux team they they really turn out some some talent i mean mcnulty came from there yeah. too so yeah so i got a little distracted but anyway about tucson i mean you and this this coach who's who's um coaching a lot of pros and it seems like everyone's just so satisfied with how he helps them and uh ethan overson is is coming on so strong there's just so much talent coming out of tucson it's crazy i i think it's just kind of like a good combination we got really good riding year round yeah um and then in the winters it's just elevated i mean it's kind of like a haven for you got the pros coming in you got lemon you got the shootout you got like the tradition here yeah yeah it's pretty cool all right so last uh, thing i want to talk to you about diet and nutrition i know everybody's really uh specific some people don't care some people care too much i think you have a little bit of a uh, somewhat unique take on your diet nutrition tell me about it actually i i really changed my diet around the time i was trying to diagnose like the iliac artery endofibrosis thing um during that time i was trying to cut out any inflammation that i thought might have been causing that issue so that time i went completely vegan um and before that were you completely not like you didn't care you were yeah eat anything? I, I was pretty much eating anything before that um i mean i would i would like not eat cheese the day before race day and that yeah. was that was about as strict as i got you know just trying to cut out anything trying to cut out any causes that it might have been yeah i went completely vegan during that time and since then i mean i've i've stuck to it mainly uh more I mean, I just call it plant-based now. I don't eat meat hardly ever. I mean, of course, no uh, dairy or, or anything. But it's not to say I'm not going to, like, eat chicken here and there. Okay. But, but yeah, I found I found a lot of benefits from being plant-based. On a, on a day, like, point-to-point, what is most of your nutrition, like, in the race? Is it liquid? Is it solid? Like, what what's your go-to on a hard day? Uh, yeah, I pretty much get all my calories from like gels or like really concentrated drink mixes. Okay. During a really long race, like point to point, I usually try to find a place early on in the race where I can eat like solid food, but I really struggle with trying to like chew and swallow like a bar or something during a race. So yeah, I just load up with gels for pretty much all races are you tracking like macros or micros or are you tracking your protein intake and all uh, to that degree or you just say no i'm just gonna eat healthy and plant-based and call it good yeah i don't i don't track calories or macros or anything like that um i mean i just eat when i'm hungry um and yeah the main thing with being plant-based is a lot of the times it forces you to think about what you're eating more so that's that's the biggest benefit i've found for me um, instead of just, you know, grabbing whatever and shoving it in your mouth, like actually thinking about what's in this, is it good for me? Yeah. That keeps you honest. Yeah. It keeps me, keeps me eating healthier. There's been times where I've a couple seasons ago, I was like, all right, I, I like, 
I used to live on gas station food, like whip into a Circle K, <laughs> grab a couple tornados, and oh, uh, <laughs> and a couple years ago, I was like, all right, enough. Like, try, time to be a big boy and eat healthy, and just having some sort of like rule or structure or or plan, whether it's counting calories or macros or plant based or whatever. You're exactly right. If you just put a framework around something and it gets you thinking about anything you put in your mouth, that alone made a huge difference for me. I mean, it, it totally changed my body composition and, and my results and my power and everything like completely changed. So, yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's a fine line between like thinking too much about it to the point where you're constantly stressed about it and anything. And then the point where it's just, it just becomes like natural part of your diet. You pull into a coffee shop. What's your go-to coffee? Oh, uh, lately I'd say it's a cold brew, but no, I can't, I can't pass up a good Americano. Okay. Yeah. I I like asking, I I ask a lot of people this question and you know, some people are like, oh, just black, just pure black. And then (laughs) other people are like, black is disgusting. And I don't know. I I enjoy, uh, hearing people's take on what their coffee is. Oh yeah. I, I'm always just black, black coffee. And what, what's your go-to coffee shop on a ride here in Tucson? It's got to be Presta. Okay. Yeah, the the one in the Mercado or uh, there's one like just a couple miles down the road. What race result, or maybe not even a result, but a performance or experience, what race are you most proud of? Like in the last six years you've been racing bikes, what, what uh, event do you look back on and say, yeah, that one I'm proud of? Yeah, definitely one that stands out is Collegiate Mountain Bike Nationals um, 2015. I got to, uh, I got second in the XC race. I got to stand on the podium. Sepp Kuss won. So, wow. yeah, he got first. Uh, I was standing there second. Luke Rogenvelder third. Steven Davis was fourth or fifth. So, yeah, that's, that's cool. Definitely, I mean, anytime you're standing on a national championship podium, it's, it's pretty cool experience. Yeah, that's special. Was that the race over in, uh, was that like Snowshoe or? Yeah, yeah, it was Snowshoe um, where they had, normal nationals a couple years ago um but the course we were on was like 10 times better than yeah. the than the nationals course was sep riding for like fort lewis or something he was uh cu boulder oh okay yeah i think everybody knows who sep Kuss is now yeah pretty cool well thanks so much um anything yeah, else thank- no just uh yeah thanks for having me on yeah big goals i mean if we ever get back to racing after this coronavirus thing what are your big goals for the season what are you looking forward to yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, Marathon Mountain Bike Nationals. So we, it's in uh, September this okay. year. So still uh, hopes that that yeah. will be unchanged. Yeah, you know, that should hopefully there should be enough time to return to normal and have the time to build up and get some races in to yeah. be ready for that. Yeah, so that's a big goal. And then uh, world championships for on the marathon marathon side. Where's that at? It's in Turkey this year. Wow. Yeah, so uh, and that's like end of October. Okay. So yeah. You know, trying to find a silver lining, maybe it's maybe it's good for you. I mean, if you're racing hard all the way until October, I don't know, maybe shutting it down a little bit right now isn't so bad, you know? Take a little rest, ramp yeah. it back up. Yeah, I mean, I love I love the training side of it. I mean, of course I love racing, so Yeah. Either way, I mean, there's trying to control that's way more important than any yeah. race we're going to do, so that yeah, comes first right for now. Sure. All right. Well, Kyle Trudeau, thanks, man. And I appreciate you. We'll put some links. I'll put some links in the show notes to uh, your sponsors and your team and Sock Guy and the coffee shop and (laughs) and your photographer and all these cool things we talked about. So uh, I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.